Let us pray. All-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving God, you gather us like a shepherd gathers the sheep, like the mother hen gathers the chicks. Lord, you gather us in under your protective wing, and you nourish us, you feed us by your word. And so we pray, Lord God, that we may take your word into us, that it may become part of us, that it may feed us and strengthen us and nourish us, and so that as you send us out into the world, we may go with the courage and the boldness, leaning into the promise of your sovereignty and your power and your everlasting life. For Lord, sometimes it feels like when you send us that we are leaving the nest. And yet we know, Lord God, that we never leave your presence. We are never more than a hair's breadth away from you. For you are near. And so whatever life throws at us, we know that you will never forsake or abandon us. And so Lord God, as we read your word, as we lean into your promises, may you refresh and renew our faith within us and build us up into disciples, into the church that we may serve you faithfully in all we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, today is day seven of our church's adventure through Rick Warren's purpose-driven life. We are um, kind of reading this book together, and so our time on Sundays, our worship time, is going to be oriented around these major chapters that he has set up. And so today we're talking about that big question, what on earth are we here for? What is our purpose? Why are we alive? What are we doing here? How do we live well? These are the deepest questions that humanity has been asking for thousands of years, and I have the answer. I don't have the answer. But Scripture points us to God. And we know that in God all of our questions are ultimately answered. The frustrating thing is that many of those questions aren't answered in the timeline with which we would like answers. But we believe that when we live well, that we draw nearer to those answers and we get enough hints and glimpses to keep us aligned to God, to keep us focused on God And so we begin to get pictures and glimpses. And so that when we get into heaven, we'll suddenly begin to understand. Oh, this is what that meant. This is what this was hinting at. Now I see clearly what I saw through a glass, as Paul put it. And so eventually, we're going to make our way to Psalm 139. Um, that's where we're going, to, we're going to end up there. It may take us a while to get there, but I do promise we'll end up there. But first, we can talk about phones. And 
And think about a question. What is a phone designed to do? And 15 years ago, that was a really simple question. We even go so far as to say that was a dumb question, right? 10 years ago, that was a really simple question. Five years ago, it began to get a little complicated. And now when we ask that question, what is a phone designed to do? It seems like there's probably as many different answers as there are people who have them. 61% of Americans have smartphones according to Pew Research data uh, from last year, so that number is probably higher. Rachel and I finally converted, so we're doing our part. (laughs) And the best studies I've found say that when those phones are used, 25% of the time they're used to make phone calls. And so what we now have are incredibly tiny and powerful computers that can, when needed, make phone calls. So what is a phone designed to do? What's the purpose of a phone? We can still make calls with it, but there's so much more, and some of those things are really wonderful. Some of those things connect us to one another, and they enrich our lives, and they deepen our discipleship. And we think about what you can use them for. Um, you know, for us, we can make video calls um, between our kids and their grandparents. Our, our parents don't really care about us anymore. We are the vehicle by which the children um, come. And so, so our phone can enable us to see their grandkids. There's all sorts of Bible study apps so that when you're sitting in a doctor's waiting room, you can, you can read the Bible. And then there's all sorts of distractions, all sorts of things that hamper our interactions, all sorts of things that make it more difficult, things that distract, things to do while you're driving down the road at 80 miles an hour. So we think, what's a phone designed to do? What's its purpose? Well, if its purpose, we say, is to connect us with one another, there are things it does really well. But there are all sorts of distractions that can take us away from that purpose and hamper our ability to connect. My dad has a habit of of sitting at dinner when there's two of us and and going through his phone constantly. It's really hard to have a conversation at dinner with somebody who's, who's not paying attention. So there's all sorts of options. Some are good, some are bad. All sorts of distractions that can take us away from that purpose. And that's what modern 21st century life is, right? It's a very distracted age in which we live. There are so many things competing for our time. There are so many things competing for our attention, our limited attention. And there's some things that demand our time and attention that are really good. And there are some things that distract us and take us away. But the central question is, what is our purpose? What are we here for? Why are we here? How do we live well? How do we live faithfully? And I think to begin to answer this question, we turn to Genesis, to the creation story in Genesis 1, 
when God says that we are made in the image of God. He says, let us make man in our own image. And so often, certainly when I talk about that, we talk about that as it affects the way we interact with one another. So that we make sure when we interact with other people, we treat them as people made in the image of God. No matter how much we dislike them, no matter how much we may disagree with them, we still have to treat them as people made in the image of God. But when we think about ourselves, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And what does that effect does that have on how we live? I think there's three aspects that come up when we think about, well, what is, what is God? What is God's image in which we're made? The first one is relational. We know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And while we don't understand exactly how it works, the Trinity is this constantly interacting being. That God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are constantly in relation to one another. They are never isolated. And so when we think about how we live well, how do we reflect that image of God, how do we build and deepen relationships with one another? How do we be in intentional relationships that are helping us grow? The church doesn't function well when it's a group of isolated individuals who aren't sharing with one another. We aren't on this journey together. The church functions best when we recognize that we are made to be in relationship. We're made to be here for one another, to support one another, to get involved with one another. As messy as that may be, we do this together. And secondly, God is love. Throughout Scripture, that's lifted up in 1 John. You know, God is defined as love. And so when we act, we act out of love. Always love drives us, motivates us. You know, God, whenever God is interacting with us, God is always doing it in love, wanting the best for us, wanting us to grow. Now, God disciplines us sometimes. But it's because He wants us to grow and He does not want us to harm ourselves. Just like you discipline a child when they're running out in the middle of the road. When God sees us doing something that equates to running out in the road, God disciplines us because He loves us. Jesus says He prunes those He wants to grow. So God is relational, God is love, and God is selfless. We see this certainly most fully on the cross. When Jesus Christ wants us to flourish so badly, when Jesus Christ wants what is best for us so, so thoroughly, He's willing to take every ounce of punishment for our sins upon Himself so that we may be freed from that. And so we live most into that image of God when we live in relationship, when we act out of love, and when we are selfless, thinking of the needs of others, thinking of the needs of a relationship, before we think about our own needs. And so that's kind of the, the big picture of how we, we live into that idea of made, being made in the image of God. And so the question is, well, what is my purpose? The Westminster Catechism, that, that we're, the, it begins, it says, what is the meaning of life? What is the chief end of man? It says, the meaning of life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we say, that's great! Well, how do I do that? I'm going to read the 139th Psalm. O Lord, You have searched me 
and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you, for night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together. In my mother's womb, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty are your, to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God. That the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist here paints a picture of a God who knows us completely. A God who knows us intimately, who has knit us together in our, in our mother's wombs, who has formed our inward parts, of a God who knows each and every one of us as his precious creations. And so, for a God who has given us each unique and individual talents, when we say what is our purpose... Each and every one of us live out that purpose in a different way. I think one of the things the church does poorly is we put so much emphasis on headline stories, on big dramatic stories, that we begin to feel inferior because our story maybe doesn't live up to the hype of someone else's. Maybe our story isn't as dramatic or as exciting as someone else's. But what the psalmist is saying here is that God knows you so intimately that God has called you to your own individual walk. And that within the, the bounds of your unique and individual life, 
God wants you to worship and glorify Him. As you do that. It was Martin Luther who was talking about how we live out the Christian life. And he said, the cobbler, the shoemaker, is called to make the best shoes he can. Brother Lawrence, a monk from hundreds of years ago, talked about peeling potatoes to the glory of God. What we get in, this, in the Psalms, 139th Psalm, is God knows you. God has made you just the way you are. And God loves and treasures you as the unique and special child of God that you are. And there is nowhere that you can ever go where God is not with you. And there is no darkness so complete that God's light does not shine there. And so what the psalmist calls us to do is to glorify God as we do our life, as we live out our everyday life, as we live as parents and as children, as employees, as neighbors, as citizens, in all of these things and ways we glorify God by doing the best that we can. By using these abilities God has given us to their fullest extent. In that way, we glorify and worship God. God has given us these gifts. God has made us just as we are. Our purpose is to worship and glorify God. And in using the gifts God has given us, we do just that. We honor God. God has given you your abilities. Use them. And in so doing, I think God delights. And we find our purpose in serving God and serving one another. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have made us just as we are, in your image, but unique. You have knit us together. You have formed us. And so, Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray that our lives bring glory and honor to you. Lord, we know that our purpose is to serve you and worship you with gladness. And so we pray that as we use our gifts to the best of our abilities, that that brings you joy and delight. We pray that the distractions that beat at our door, that we shut those out and we focus on living faithfully and on serving you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.